Welcome to First and 30. I'm Nick. And I'm Antonino. We're two 30-something-year-old guys who take the best ultimate reality television show in this hemisphere, American football, through four uncensored downs of mostly unbiased opinion and some analysis. In a game broken down into 10-yard segments, we take it with one step at a time. That's First and 30. Let's Let's go go for it. it. Welcome to episode 7 of the First and 30 podcast. It's the end of week 16 in the 2023 season, and it's that time of year for everyone to gather around the fireplace, grab yourself a nice cup of hot cocoa, and share a new holiday tradition with Antonino, the pod father, DeSandro, and I with the First and 30 family as well. Antonino... Happy holidays, my friend. How uh, how did you celebrate the time off? The beautiful time of year, Nick. I appreciate uh, having you in my life and having this show and our audience listening into us. Uh, I couldn't be more thankful for the family, friends, and football, of course, that we have surrounding us this year. Um, I had tons of food Christmas Eve, the Feast of Seven Fishes. I ate probably five cannolis. Mm-hmm. I'm full. And I'm happy. So I have no complaints. I spent a lot of time next to the fireplace with my dog. And we're, we're blessed. We're very blessed. How about you? How was your Christmas? It was good, man. You know, I'm, I'm married to my wife. She's Italian. Her family's Italian. So we we didn't do the, the Feast of Seven Fishes. However, we did have a lot of lasagna last night as well as some cannolis as well. You know, I cut myself off at two, though. I didn't go into that five cannoli mark. I, I had to watch the figure a little bit. But uh, yes. on the Puerto Rican side, we had some pork. We had some rice. We did all of the uh, Puerto Rican traditions, too. Some coquito, which is a nice, like, coconut rum-based thing. But, of course, it was all highlighted with some football as well. So how about we give our listeners what they came here for and get started with High Hopes. High Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers extended their winning streak over the holidays to four games in a row after defeating a pretty hobbled Jacksonville Jaguars squad. What's your take, Antonino? What did you see from Baker? He's on a hot streak right now. Give me your impressions first. Baker Mayfield's bacon, all right. I mean, I thought maybe last week was a fluke. He went to Lambeau Field, jumped out to a 20 to zip halftime lead. But he comes back out this week and goes up 30 to zip on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I try to pinpoint where this is coming from, but I think they're hitting on all cylinders at just the right time. He's looking remarkable. I did not expect this from the Buccaneers, let alone Baker. He was signed to a one-year prove-it contract for $4 million at the beginning of the season. He does have $4.5 million of potential incentives tied to this contract too. But Baker is having arguably his best season in the NFL. This is right now comparable to his 2020 season with the Browns where he had really similar statistical lines, 26 touchdowns, eight picks. Right now he has a 96.2 QB rating with 3,500 passing yards. But Baker has been that X factor for Tampa Bay that I don't think any of us really expected. And a lot of credit has to go to him, obviously, but 
Very effective play calling by Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator. And Rashad White has been a big difference maker in this offensive as well, taking some of that pressure off of Baker Mayfield. But big game for them. And like you mentioned too, that that game against the Packers last week where he had 158.3, perfect QB rating. Uh, you can't eat that too much. What what do you think is the big difference here though? And did you expect the Buccaneers to be in playoff contention and potentially winning this division? You, you know, I think Baker gets a bad rap. Shame on the Browns. I feel like they gave up on him way too early. He's a good quarterback. He was in a bad situation there. But you see him really flourishing. And not only that, the the Michael Evans connection. Mm. They, they hooked up for two TDs this week. They have 13 for the season. I think that is the most important thing, is having that number one receiver that's dependable. He's been doing it his whole career. The team as a whole only had 70 rushing yards, mind you. So Baker's really putting a lot of this on his shoulders. The defense is playing well, but Baker is putting this on his shoulders and everyone expected a big drop off, you know, after Tom Brady talk about, you know, there wasn't that many expectations going from Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield. So him coming in there and having the season he's having, especially after they started three of one, had the bye week and lost six of seven. So I think at that point, people were like, okay, back to reality, uh, put a pin in it, it's done. But after losing six of seven, you see them here now, four-game win streak, uh, about to win the NFC South title for the third consecutive season, which isn't you know not the strongest division, but hey, three straight NFC South titles is three straight NFC South titles. So good on him, good on the team, and we, we should keep an eye on them for uh, a playoff run, possibly. Yeah. Well, they're definitely strong contenders right now at this point. And you had mentioned that connection with Mike Evans. Did you know that this was his 20th career game with multiple receiving touchdowns? So you you mentioned he had two in this game. He is actually the only the seventh receiver to have 20 or more such games. So that has been a big impact for Baker because even when he was with Cleveland, Prior to OBJ, he had an effective cast around him. Jarvis Landry, if you remember a few of those names. So he he does have the supporting cast that he needs right now. But backpedaling to those expectations, you said they started 3-1. and one, They had a rough patch there in the middle of the season. Going into this year, Vegas Sportsbook, the, the betting lines over there in Vegas, only had the Bucks at around six and a half wins this season. So they've already exceeded those expectations by winning eight games, eight and seven. But what do they have left for them, Antonino? What what does it need to take for Baker? They have two games on the, the docket. How can they clinch this division? They got the Saints at home, mm-hmm. and then they go at Carolina, which Carolina has been playing well the past couple weeks. But those are two very, very winnable games. Uh, They will get home field. If you win the division, if they get that third seed, they'll have a game at home. Don't look now, but I think the Buccaneers could be firing the cannons. Yeah, they might. And they might actually draw one of their wild card matchups against the Dallas Cowboys. But how about this? Let's head into second down now. They are who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. And in this down, I do want to focus on that Miami-Dallas game, specifically Miami showcasing that their record is what we thought, but despite not beating a winning team, they were able to come at home and beat the Cowboys. 
on Christmas Eve, which was a statement win for them that helped them clinch a playoff spot. Were you watching this game, Antonino? Because I know for sure I was uh, due to my bias that everybody might be aware of, of the Dallas Cowboys. But what is your impression? What were you seeing from the Dolphins here uh, as well as the Cowboys? You know, that was a heck of a game. It was a pleasure to watch. And as we know, it came down to the last play. But the, the Finns were up in Miami. The Dolphins in those beautiful, beautiful retro jerseys. I love that old Miami Dolphins I logo. I really hope they bring that back. Uh, but they played extremely well. Uh, Dak Prescott, Cowboys go down the field. First drive of the game. I thought they were really putting it to them. They force a fumble. I think that really set the tone for the rest of the game. It was a back-and-forth match. Uh, I think the Dolphins got over the hump by finally beating a team over 500, and they effectively passed the fraud baton to the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yes, because there, there's two sides to this segment here with they are who we thought they were, because we kind of expected the Dolphins to be a good team. Based off of the record, we knew that they didn't beat anybody too noteworthy this season, but they're a top offense in the league uh, with the top scoring offense, one of the top five rushing offenses, top passing offense as well. So typically in this day of age in the NFL, when you're a top flight offense, you are a good team. That's what it pretty much takes. That's a part of the formula here. So we knew that with Miami, but we also knew with Dallas that they had struggles on the road. That was the big narrative. So coming into this game, I was hopeful and I was a believer that Dallas could turn this ship around, get a statement win on the road against a Miami team that is impressive, that is good, despite not having a winning record against any winning teams this season. Unfortunately for the Cowboys, a lot of the momentum I felt as I watched this game was crushed after that first drive, Antonino, because mm -hmm. as you alluded to, they went right down the field on a 17-play drive and came up short at the one-yard line, first and foremost because Tony Pollard got stuffed. He almost broke the plane, but you have yep. to think, as a Cowboy fan, a lot of us were like, well, what if Zeke was still here? He was the guy that would have punched <laughs> that in. But they go ahead on the next play, bring in uh, Limpke, the fullback. He gets stuffed, fumbles it, and Miami gets all the momentum back. So to me, that was kind of one of the big difference makers in this matchup that pushed push things the opposite direction for the Cowboys in an unfortunate turn of events. You know, what's especially impressive, not only can Dallas hang their hat at the fact that they held Tyreek under 100 yards, but most are 99 though. Sorry. 99. It's, <laughs> it's under 100. It's under 100. <laughs> facts are facts. And then most are an HN. They rushed for 46 yards, 24 yards, and Wilson had 21 yards. So the rushing attack under 100 yards. So Dallas can hang their hat that they held strong as a defense. But even more impressively, Miami, the fact that none of their star players had a blowout performance, and they still found a way to win. And Tua played an effective, productive game, 24-37, 293 uh, yards and a touchdown. So yeah. Dallas, hang your hat on that defense, but Miami – to win that game with no one having an outstanding performance is also just as impressive. Well, to me, that's just Dallas giving them even more opportunities. You know, I, I can appreciate and respect the talent that the Dolphins have. Tyreek did have a good game, though. Nine catches for 99 yards. He really started turning things up in the second half. 
But Dallas had opportunities, and they squandered it yet again in the second half. There were multiple drives where they went three and out. But I was catching bits and pieces of Tua's performance. He was pretty inaccurate and inefficient during portions of this game. So Dallas wasn't getting the best from the Dolphins, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And it showed. But Dallas was also playing without Tyron Smith. They're starting all pro left tackle, which... Going into this, I was concerned about because earlier in this season, if you recall, they lost a game to Arizona. They were missing key pieces to their offensive line, and the offense just didn't look the same. I don't think it was quite as dramatic in this game. Dak had time. Dak looked pretty efficient, but the Dolphins' defense played pretty tight in the second half despite giving up five catches to CeeDee Lamb in the first quarter for 93 yards and a touchdown. They held CeeDee Lamb to only one other catch to finish this game off. So CD had six catches for 118 yards and that touchdown. So I do give the Dolphins credit there. Their the defense played pretty tight in the second half, but I'd say the other side of it, Dallas just blew a lot of opportunities to, to put this one away. I think there's a big showdown coming up next week in Miami. I think you're right. Mm. Well, before we get to that, we're, we're going to see you on the other side of this timeout. So we're going to take a brief timeout for a little bit of a halftime intermission to give a quick shout out to our social media plugs. So give the gift of the podcast here during the holidays. If you have a sports loving friend who's just been itching to hear some new dynamic content, well, First and 30 is your one-stop shop where we break down things, give you kind of an in-depth analysis, but also somewhat of our biased take on some topics. Uh, it's a lot of fun though. If you are enjoying what you're listening to, all that we ask is that you share this, give it a like on Facebook. Our social media is at first in 30 for both Twitter or X, however you refer to it, as well as Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook at first and 30. It really does go a long way. So if you are enjoying the content, go ahead, share this, give this gift to your other sports loving friends and hopefully they will enjoy it just as much. So with that timeouts up, halftime's over with third and long. What were you thinking? And Antonino kind of served this up right before the halftime break with those Ravens. There was a big game last night between the Ravens and 49ers. So I want to know, Antonino, what on earth were you thinking by hating the Ravens so frequently throughout this season, especially during our podcast? Go ahead. I'm going to give you a quick moment of retribution right here. Excuse me, as I uh, take my walk of shame, I am firmly going to fall under the category of a Baltimore Ravens believer now after that game yesterday. I was especially impressed with Lamar Jackson. He did not automatically run when the, when the, the pocket broke down. He really took his time, found the open receiver, and he did have seven attempts rushing one for 30 yards, but he did not go straight to the run. So I think he's really developing as a passer. They have a ton of injuries. They're fighting through it. I'm a believer. Okay, Nick, I'm a believer. It took that game last night, but here I am. And I wear this hat of shame with uh, pride. So 
there you go, Ravens fans. I gave you what you've been asking for here. Antonino apologizing, finally giving the Ravens the credit where the credit is due. Lamar Jackson perhaps cementing himself now as the MVP frontrunner after this game against the 49ers. But what stood out to me the most, Antonino, what was really impressive is just the way the Ravens' defense just keeps getting things done. Going in, they're, they're playing perhaps one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL outside of the Miami Dolphins. But the Ravens, coming out of this, number one ranked defense in terms of points allowed, they had five forced interceptions, picking off Brock Purdy four times in this game, having a total 27 QB pressures, four sacks. Defensive coordinator Mike McDonald is having a phenomenal season with this group, uh, which is led by Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith, the linebackers. Kyle Hamilton had a fantastic game with two interceptions, one of which, did you catch this play, Antonino? There was uh, the, the play where Purdy is getting pressured. Kyle Hamilton gets chop blocked, just smacked it down, mm -hmm. gets yep. up from the play. And then catches the ricochet off of the the lineman for the interception. It, you Incredible. gotta give that. Yeah, that was that was unreal. And then Jadavian Clowney having a renaissance season with the Ravens. Who would have thought this guy still had something left in the tank? He he showed up last night for them and has showed up all season. But truly dominant performance by the defense. What what else did you kind of see from the Ravens outside of Lamar? Outside of the defense, anything else stood out to you there? Yeah, something not as obvious. You know, we all know the defense, uh, what they did bringing uh, Brock Purdy back to Iowa State with those four interceptions. But uh, the rushing attack for Baltimore, excluding the running back, Lamar Jackson, Gus Bus, yeah, Gus Bus, nine attempts, 31 yards, Justice Hill, 10 attempts, 26 yards. So as far as a rushing game, usually in December, come playoff time, you want to have a rushing attack that's pretty strong. I'm not exactly seeing that, but it's impressive oh. nonetheless that they're able to put up 30-plus points without a full-blown rushing attack. Um, it's impressive. So yeah, that's what know. stood out to me. That's what stood out to me. This is an exception of a game. They are top five in the league when it comes to rushing the ball. So... This excluding is Lamar Jackson or including uh, Lamar okay, Jackson? Okay, but you can't exclude Lamar Jackson because he's a dynamic part of that formula when that's it comes fair. to the rushing attack. So by saying it, he shouldn't count, that's just ridiculous. A anyways, before you start getting me on this soapbox yet again, I do want to point something out, and I want to ask this question in general and then kind of segue it into something else here. But do you think defenses still truly win championships in today's NFL? I had asked myself this question earlier in the day with the outcome of this game because of how dominant the Ravens' defense has looked. So I, I went ahead and you know went back into the NFL archives and took a look at if this is truly the statistic or not. Do defenses still truly produce Super Bowls and championships? And the argument in recent history is actually no. And I was surprised by this. So the 2020 Buccaneers uh, and the 2021 Rams had a pretty large gap. They, their defense to offense in terms of points per game. So that's what I'm looking at here. So the average offense is ranked almost six spots higher than the average defense, meaning typically the teams that have won the Super Bowl over the past you know, five to eight years have had a much better offense than they have had defense. 
However, Antonino, I want to put you on the spot because it's been a few weeks, man. You were expecting oh this. I told you, I told you going into this week that I was going to throw a trivia question at you. So here it is. In the past 20 years, there was only one team that had a top five ranked offense and defense that had won a Super Bowl. What team was it? Ooh, in the past 20 years, I'm going to go on a limb here, and this might be out there, but how about the Tennessee Titans when they played the Rams at one Super Bowl? Didn't the Titans have a good defense and a good offense? Could that be them? They did, but they didn't win the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> again, the question Super is... Super Bowl winner. They had to have won the Super Bowl. So, top five ranked defense and offense. Because right now, the Ravens do have a top five ranked defense and offense. And if things play out the way they have, they would join that company. Uh, but I, I just want to note, there's only been one team that's done this over the past 20 years. Considering that the Patriots have won half of the Super Bowls in the past 20 years, let me just go and... Uh... Did the New England Patriots have a top five offense and a top five defense in one of those Super Bowl uh, victories? There you go. Good inference. I, oh, I mean, my goodness. You weren't, you weren't throwing darts at a, a <laughs> blank dartboard then. Yes. I love it. It was the 2016 New England Patriots. They had the number three ranked offense in terms of points per game as well as the number one ranked defense. Uh, meanwhile, though, the Ravens, they've scored 20-plus points in nine consecutive games. So this is actually the longest active streak in the NFL and they are 12 and one this season when they score more than 20 points in a game. So they're doing it in so many ways and it, you can't not be impressed. And with this game, you, you'd probably say they are the team to beat in the NFL. Yeah, Nick, I think I want to make a declaration. I'm, I'm officially a believer in the Baltimore Ravens and that, and that they will still lose. In the first round of oh, the playoffs. Oh, no. <laughs> you had your moment. Wow. Ravens fans, go ahead and leave some comments. Let, let us know what your thoughts and feelings are with Antonino and his biased hatred towards your Ravens. He needs to hear it from you. He can't hear it from me anymore. Try to educate him and teach him something in the comments below on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Well, Antonino, let's move forward. It's fourth and forever. Time for a Hail Mary. Dropping back in the pocket, looking. There's the Hail Mary. Headed for the end zone. And it is. So for this final segment, for this high point of the weekend, how could we not talk about the New England Patriots getting that holiday miracle on a game-winning field goal against the Denver Broncos? How about you break it down for us, Antonino? It really depends on who you ask, whether or not it was a miracle or a nightmare. But I think Bill Belichick, he played his best Grinch impression. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Super impressed with Bill Belichick. Having been there 24 years with the season completely in the gutter, he whips out a weapon. Weapon's name is Bailey Zappi. Mm. 2022 fourth round pick, selection number 32. Is he Tom Brady's next in line in New England? Ooh. Highly doubtful. <laughs> but the Broncos were seven and a half points favorite, and New England Patriots went in there and got the job done. How you like them apples? 
those are some sweet apples, Antonino, because they did get the job done. They were the Broncos, though, they were trailing by 16 points. So, New England jumped out to a pretty big lead. And my brother in law, he's actually a Denver fan. And we were watching this game, you know, as a family, everybody's gathered around. And he, he had us turn it off. He couldn't have a, he couldn't see any more of his Broncos taking what the Patriots were feeding them for the holidays. But fortunately, Denver came back in this game. Even after Chad Ryland, the kicker for the Patriots, missed an extra point as well as a 47-yard field goal, it's looking quite miserable there from that standpoint and giving Denver more opportunities to come back in this game. But rookie uh, rookie Christian Barrymore for the Patriots, the D-tackle, he had himself a career game in his young career with three sacks. So we saw the Patriots defensing it, looking to form. And then not only that, as I mentioned in the, the second down during the segment with the Cowboys and the Dolphins, Zeke Elliott was looking vintage, man. Mm-hmm. He, did mm-hmm. you see that touchdown he had where he hurtled over the defender and took it to the house? That was I certainly did. Could this have been the New England Patriots team that Bill Belichick was intending to have all year? They got Ezekiel Elliott in the end zone. Giuseppe got a touchdown. And the defense continued to be, dare I say it, elite. They did go on a span of three games this year where they let up less than 10 points and they lost all three of those games. So the defense has come to play every single time they step on the field. Point in case, the New England Patriots, could this have been the team that should have came out all year long had they not started Mac Jones for a majority of the season? Ah, That's so tough, though. And we've talked about the Patriots once or twice, especially Mac Jones and some of the poor decisions that he's made, but it's hard to give up on a guy that you invest a first round pick for a fourth rounder like Bailey Zappi. But did you know that Zappi joined Tom Brady, Andrew Bledsoe as the only Patriots quarterback since at least 1990, well, it was actually 1970, to win a primetime game with 250 plus yards, two passing touchdowns and no interceptions. Granted, New England's QB history doesn't really look impressive prior to Bledsoe and Brady, but still pretty, pretty cool to see him join the, those types of names in Patriots folklore and history, right? I mean, that's, that's good company. When you bring up the name Tom Brady in any sentence with your own name, that's, that's special, but Bailey Zappi, could he be, because there's something there. Is there a future there? I know uh, first play of the game, there was a strip sack. Broncos recovered it right there inside the five. You thought, here we go. This is going to get out of hand and be like a 20 to 30 point blowout loss in Denver. Um, But they, they turn the, they turn the ship there. They turn the tide and it's it's quite impressive. I'm happy for coach Belichick. Uh, Even if he's not coaching there next year and he moves on. um, I think everyone out there who's a new England Patriots fan should be thankful for moments like this and moments he's given them for the past 24 years. I agree. And how about we round out the, Hail Mary in the fourth down with how this game ended. The score tied 23-23 in the fourth quarter. And we mentioned Chad Ryland, who's a University of Maryland graduate. He missed those kicks early on. He missed the extra point, missed the 47-yarder. But his number was called to come out and attempt a 56-yard potential game-winning kick, which he crushed. Just nailed this kick. Uh, So you got to give the guy some credit. And I think this kind of sets us up into our positive impact because we're getting close here on the time. And 
with it being the holidays and such, we do want to wish you all happy holidays. But before we do so, Chad Ryland, uh, it, and I'm going to take this first positive impact and I'm going to segue it to you, Antonino, but Chad Ryland, he missed those opportunities in the game. He continued to trust the process, though, just like the Patriots. You know, they started the season off not the way they wanted to. I'm sure this isn't how they expected things to be, but they continued to persist, push forward. They showed up during this game despite all the losses. And in the microcosm of this game, Chad Ryland had a lot of losses. Yet, he rose to the occasion. He overcame those failures, those past failures, stood up to the plate, and made that game-winning kick. So I think the message for me is try to learn from those opportunities, even if they don't play out the way you expected. Move past it. That way, once that opportunity does come again, you can rise up and execute. What, what about you, Antonino? Very well said. Um, like we saw in that game with the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, he's been there 24 years. I think everyone should embrace this moment. It could be the last time you see it. Every year, people get older, teams change, nothing will ever be the same. So if there's any word of advice, it's to be thankful for what you have and embrace the moment you're in. There will never be a time just like the one you're in right now. Love it. Yeah. And with that, happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of First and 30. Until next week, remember, when your number is called, no matter the odds, Just Just go go for it. it.